We're picking up in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, the theme, like Josh said, is provision. Um, we're going to kind of be in and out of the text a little bit. There's quite a lot of text. Um, not going to read it all um, because we'll be here all day. Um, and it's better, actually, I think, as you guys go home and sort of think about what I've said, that you read the text for yourselves as well because um, God tells the story better than I can anyway. So. so we're starting in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. I think there's so many things in and around this text that really show us that God is the provider. Um, at the very start, he provides them with Moses. When they cry out for liberation, they, you know, he provides them with Moses. Then he provides them with safe passage out of Egypt. Then he provides them with the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night to show them where they're going. Um, but the four things I want to pick out of the text that he provides is instruction, sustenance, rest, and reasons to trust him. So back to the text in uh, verse 25. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So at Mara, um, where they stopped for water, um, I read somewhere that there's still bitter springs there today. I don't know whether that's true, but I don't think it's crazy to assume that that bitter taste comes from either pollution or sediment. And I think that that's exactly what happens to us when we suffer from bitterness. You know, sediment left behind by other people's action, or it could be missed opportunity, uh, wasted time, being scorned by your friends, it could be anything. Um, but suffering is what it is, isn't it? Because nobody's bitter and joyful about it. It's uncomfortable, it hurts. Um, now, we don't have a a physical piece of wood or a magical staff like Moses did to sort ourselves out with, but we do have the cross of Jesus Christ. That is our point of reference. That is where we go to put things into perspective. So we know, as Christians, we know that that's where Jesus went to pay for our sins, for our wrongdoings, for our transgressions, and he did that willingly. So I want to ask you to ask yourselves, does my grievance pale in comparison to what the grievance that he could have with me? Now I know there's loads of people here and, and out, you know, in the rest of RK who can't be here today um, that have been badly wronged, I know. Um, but the cross of Jesus Christ is still true and it applies to everyone. Um, so yes, yeah, so bearing in mind that Jesus knows everything that we've done across our lifespan, whether, you know, whether it's something we've said or thought or entertained or felt, he knows all of that and he still went to the cross willingly for us. So I just want you to think about that while I tell you a little 
story, um, it's a true story. A few years ago, quite a few years ago now, I worked in a uh, local pub. This was um, at the early stages of our family life. I think James was about three at the time and we were not very well off at all. Every single penny needed to be stretched to make ends meet. Um, and I used to take as many shifts at the pub as I could. Um, but as it happens, one of the, um, well, my boss at the time did a runner with my wages, just up and left and wouldn't answer my calls, wouldn't answer my texts. She just basically left the whole business behind. I think she'd got caught in some kind of downward spiral of, it was gambling, she obviously owed a lot of people money, it wasn't just me. But yeah, she just up and left and I was really angry. That was my money. I worked hard for that, putting up with drunken louts, you know, till midnight or what have you. And it was something that would pop into my head every so often for a really long time, a good couple of years. And every time it popped into my head, that sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach came with it. You know, that anger, that thing that just brings you down. It feels like you've got lead inserts in your vein and it's just horrible. Um, but then I remember, I, I remember I was washing pots actually at my old church at the time and it popped into my head and I just said to myself, that's enough now. Let it go. Forgive, forget, put it down, move on. And the relief I felt was instant. It was just like someone had like, unplugged one of my toes and everything just drained out from under me. It was just, it was amazing. But then as it happened, within two weeks, bearing in mind this was a good couple of years after, within two weeks, she sent me a text saying, can I have your bank details please? How much, how much do I owe you? And I am really sorry. Within two weeks. But 60 pound in my bank was not my reward. That wasn't what I remember about that. It was that instant relief of being able to look at a person with love and compassion and being able to say, do you know what? She will have been in a horrible situation at that time. She will have felt guilty. She will have known that everyone was talking about her. She suffered more than I did. And looking back at that period of time, yes, I could have done with the money, but we were fine. We ate every day. We had a warm house every day. We had clothes on our back every day. There was no forced nudity whatsoever. <laughs> and <laughs> it wasn't. It was all good. No, no. So yeah. So just what, like I know I've talked about forgiveness and and stuff before, but it, it God put it on my heart again. And um, Hebrews 12 verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Because if you leave bitterness in your heart, it festers and it stays there. And it doesn't affect just you, you know, if you leave it there, it will spill out in the rest of your life and it's just not a good thing. So, we're gonna go back to the text for a bit. So this is um, chapter 16, verse, third, no, verse one, actually. Uh, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Can we just stop there a minute? No, we didn't. He went through the plagues and he went through 
uh, the parting of the Red Sea, he didn't do all of that to bring them out into the desert to starve. They were just grumbling. So Moses and Aaron, um, no, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that's to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? So basically, while they're in the desert, God provided them with this strange dew residue type stuff that they would make bread out of. And then in the evening, um, quail would come into the camp so they'd have meat to eat as well. Um, but they had strict instructions of how much to gather per person because um, any surplus would rot overnight, basically, and become maggot infested. Um, but as well as having instructions about how much to gather, they were told to gather twice on the sixth day because the seventh day was a day of rest, a holy day for the Lord. But then, true to form, this happened. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone's to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So from what I can gather, um, this manna and quail situation kind of, that was the constant thing while ever they were in the desert. So 40 years is a really long time to eat bread and chicken. I get that. But actually, they were provided for every single day. They had everything they needed to carry on on the path that the Lord was leading them on. But, you know, we can acknowledge that it wasn't a very nice place to be in the desert. And I don't envy Moses and Aaron trying to lead them through it. Um, but it seems that every, uh, at every new stage of their journey, there was grumbling to the point of wanting to go back to Egypt. So I think we need to look at where they actually came from. So if we go back quite far to when Moses was a baby, so Pharaoh, who had them enslaved, he felt so threatened by them because they were multiple, uh, they were multiplying, they were fruitful and they were increasing numbers. So he thought, well, do you know what? These people are gonna be trouble for me one day. They will be able to overpower us one day. So he ordered all of the Israelite infant boys under a certain age to be thrown into the river, to be thrown into the Nile. So we know that Moses got away and that's fantastic, but most of the infant boys didn't. So these people who are grumbling to go back to Pharaoh will have been grieving their baby boys a few years before, and yet they still wanted to go back to Pharaoh. Now if that wasn't enough, he also increased their workload by double with no extra resources to make it happen, no extra time, no nothing. They were not in a good place in Egypt. They were slaves, they were threatened, they were oppressed, all of that. The Lord answered their prayers, but the, the, the answer to prayer that they were expecting didn't match the one they got, but they were provided for. Um, so God gave them instruction along each step of the way via Moses and Aaron. So at Mara, he said, throw the stick into the water, make it sweet, gather so much manna in the morning, so much quail at night, gather double before the Sabbath, and yet the people didn't listen. I'm so glad we're not like that, are we? <laughs> we get it right every time. I mean, I wish, wouldn't it be, so, how much easier would life be if we 
did what God said we should do, or if we didn't do what he said we shouldn't do. Like, if, so if I take my kids as an example, if I tell them, don't jump from the top of the stairs, don't put your fingers on the hob when I'm cooking, it's not because I'm evil and I want to suffocate them under my cruel reign, it's because I want to protect them and I want to make sure they're all right. If I tell them, brush your teeth, eat your veg, those are good restrictions and instructions and what we get from the Lord is even better so like the Sabbath for instance we need that we need rest if we keep going and going and going we will falter um, and we need to set aside time for the Lord actual regular intentional time because we could spend our whole lives gathering and stressing and working and worrying for things that's just going to rot overnight anyway and there's a saying i don't know who originally said it but um you don't see a removal van behind a hearse because you can't take the stuff with you when you go that stuff is just for this side of the grave and we're here for you know we're here today gone tomorrow um, so what we should be doing is spending our time and our efforts wisely and we should be storing up treasures in heaven not on earth um, because if you think about spent, like, spending actual good quality time with the Lord, how much more of a force to be reckoned with would you be if you were like a well-oiled prayer machine, a well-armoured you know, person that could just throw yourself into worship, no distractions would snatch you out of that sweet spot with the Lord, or if you had a biblical truth for every single lie that the enemy could throw your way you would be in a good place, wouldn't you? And so how do we cultivate that? I think we spend time with the Lord, intentional time. You know those little um, verse of the day notifications that you can get on your Bible app? They're amazing. They can really be, you know, good. Like God can use those to speak into your life. But five minutes at breakfast is not enough. You need more. You need more. So wherever, wherever it happens, I mean, I don't think that the Sabbath needs to fall on a particular day of the week. I'm not, you know, biblically trained or whatever, but that's, that's my take on it. I think it's just a case of God has given you permission to rest and he wants you to spend time with him because that's where you will grow and become more resilient and stronger and wiser and all that. Um, so if you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, I ain't got time. Sorry, I ain't got it. Just my life is just full to the brim. Um, Leviticus 23:22 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. I know that's talking about a physical harvest, but I think you can apply that to your life as well, to your time. So are you gleaning to the very edges of your field or are you, leave, like, are you leaving anything behind? Are you, have you got anything spare, you know? Any, or like Josh said, are you running on fumes, you know? Where are you filling up your petrol? Like, are you, are you actually getting any time with the Lord? Now, I can't tell you how to arrange your life, but I can tell you that actually spending time with the Lord matters. Um, um, so yeah, just want to ask you are, you, are you, are you giving yourself enough time and energy to tackle what God has got for you? 
to go after what God's purpose for you is? Or are you busy gathering too much manna? And this mindset that I want to try and encourage to scale back and, and sort of get rid of the surplus is a daily mindset. It's not just for a season, just to sort of get you back on track, but it's a daily mindset for the rest of our lives, I think. And I think we see that in the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. In one of the Swedish translations of that prayer, it says, give us today the bread that we need. Um, so unless you're planning a Sabbath for tomorrow, you don't need a double dose of anything today. Or unless you're going on a long journey tomorrow, you don't need to panic by fuel because the Lord will provide for you what you, what you need every day. Um, Matthew chapter 6, 28, starting in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the field, uh, sorry, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So a short summary so far. He provides instruction how we should go about things. He provides sustenance, both spiritual and physical. We don't need to go hungry or thirsty. He will provide what we need. Um, he provides rest because we need that. We're not little gods. We are humans. We need rest and we need time with him. And lastly, for the long haul, he provides us with reasons to trust him. Because we, we, I think, we can have very short memories, but actually if you, if you intentionally look back, most of us can see times where God has really been there for us, where he's provided for us and he's made a way, you know. Um, but I th and I think we see this in the Israelites in the text that we as humans would rather die or go back to slavery than to suffer prolonged battles in unfamiliar surroundings. But that's where we need to learn to trust him. Um, and I know trust is really, really difficult for many of us. We've been burnt and let down, I know, but it's worth it. When it comes to the Lord, it's worth it. Um, when uh, I first became a Christian, um, we'd been trying for a brother or a sister for baby James for a really long time. Um, and I know we had a child already, but it was still that deep-seated longing in me. I would cry myself to sleep at night because I wanted another baby. Um, I became a Christian in uh, the winter of 2012, and by spring of 2013, we had conceived. And I just thought, this being a Christian thing is amazing. This is really working out for me and I'm really pleased. But for that little sweet moment, I think I thought that I was never gonna know another tear just because I'd become a Christian. But then on my 30th birthday, four days before I was due to be baptized, I miscarried. And we're never gonna know why these things happen. We're just, we're never gonna know why these things happen. Um, but I know that it brought me to a crossroad in my faith. I was angry with God and I didn't get it, didn't get it. I was really obviously disappointed and all that. But 
I still had to make a choice. Did I want all this stuff? Did I want to be baptized? Did I want church? Did I want all of this? Or did I want to go back to my old way of life where I could just pretend like nothing ever happened and just crack on? Um, so in the midst of all of that, all of that emotion, all of that anger and disappointment, I had to try and reason through it all. And I knew that, um, I knew already I'd experienced the love of God in my life. That change, that, that change, it changes you, doesn't it? From the inside and out. And I knew that apart from this situation, everything else made more sense with Jesus in my life. Um, and so it, it was like I'd had laser eye surgery and I just couldn't blur my vision again. Like I couldn't, I, 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 knew, I knew God was true. So I had to make the choice to say, do you know what? I don't get it and I'm angry, but I choose to trust you. And that's now part of my muscle memory. That first choice to trust God through hard times means that that's now part of who I am and what I do. And that's not to say that I've never been angry with him again or that I've never been disappointed or whatever. But that anger and disappointment normally comes from a lack of understanding or, or me feeling like I'm not in control, which I'm not anyway. Even on a good day, I'm not in control. He is. Um, so I made that choice to trust him. And now that means that whenever I come up to you know, stormy seas, I know that even if the outcome isn't what I want, I'll be okay. It will be okay in the end. It will be okay in the end. And I've found that when, I've, when I'm in those difficult seasons, when I'm in the desert, um, my worldly wants decrease and my need for Jesus increases. And that's a really safe and good place to be. Um, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I want to encourage you that if you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, now's the time. And if you feel like, well, maybe I'm on the fence, there is no fence. The fence is not for sitting on. You're either on one side or the other, and now's the time to go all in. Because once you do, you will just never look back. It's a decision you would never, ever regret. So, so yeah, I think we can trust that God will provide everything that we need, and he will walk through the desert with us as well. So, shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you guide us through this life and that you provide us with everything that we need. Father, we pray that through the hard times that you will help us to keep our eyes on you um, and remember what you've already done for us, Lord. Father, I pray that you will help us to want less, give more, and trust you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.